He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Welcome to the final episode of Not Your Average Cricket Show, where we're hitting traditional cricket commentary for six. I'm Zoe George. And I'm Justin Gregory. We're following all the action from the ICC World T20 in the West Indies. We're bringing you analysis, cricket puns, history from the Cricket Museum and guest hosts. And you can also join in the conversation on the RNZ Vox Pop app or email us, cricket at rnz.co.nz. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public or at radionz.co.nz forward slash series. And of course you can always listen to us on the RNZ app. And you can hear some fine cuts on RNZ Nights with Brian Crump Monday night at 7.30. On today's show, it's the final of the competition, Australia versus England, who's going to take the title, and we head to the Cricket Museum for the final instalment. Today, it's a special letter with an interesting story behind it. And as ever, we continue to have some interesting co-hosts alongside us, Minister for Sports and massive cricket fan Grant Robertson, (laughs) and comedian also cricket fan and host of the new RNZ Mental Health podcast, Woo. Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, James Nakise. Welcome, welcome. Cheers. Kia ora. Hello. Uh, now, J- the way we always start these things off is essentially we just ask you to, you know, prove your cricketing bona fides, both yeah. of you. What's your background? Grant, everyone knows you're a rugby nut. I wasn't so aware that you're a cricket nut. Probably more of a cricket nut. In fact, more of Good a cricket man. tragic, to be honest. <laughs> so I was that kid in, um, in Dunedin in the 1980s with my science homework on my lap in the afternoon watching Shell Trophy games at a very cold Carisbrook and I was probably <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was the only person in the ground who wasn't immediately playing in the game. So yeah, no, I, I grew up on the side of cricket fields, um, obsessed about it. Was a very average player, very good defensive technique, but if I had to try and score, then I'd get out. So I redeveloped myself into a spin bowler modelled on Stephen Bock. Ah. Very slow left armers, <laughs> <laughs> attempting not to turn the ball, um, and managed to eke out a little bit of a cricket uh, high school cricket career out of that. Are you uh, saying Stephen Bock didn't turn the ball? Well, he didn't try to turn it that much. Actually, he Mate. did. He turned it a little bit. But as yeah, no, as a as a young young boy growing up in Dunedin, that was that was my thing. So yeah, and in terms of of my kind of obsessions with sport, cricket's actually way ahead of of um, rugby. Although I like rugby a lot, but, you know, it's a relative thing. And test cricket as well, which is mm. my, my real passion. Yeah, I And think, James, what about you? Uh, test cricket. Um, I, I got into cricket uh, back in the 80s as a kid because uh, of Richard Hadley and the West Indies team. Because yes. the West Indies were the only other bros, apart from the All Blacks, <laughs> who you could see in international sport. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and as a, as a young Pacific kid, um, you kind of, you know, everyone's like, yeah, well, look at the sport. And it became actually a really weird thing because I became, in the same way when uh, Samoa or Wales are playing the All Blacks, I, I felt the same way when the West Indies team was playing New Zealand. Were you like, did you like barge into the umpires when you were coming into bowl as a kid, as, I, as you I, tried I, to mimic Colin Croft <laughs> or, or how did that work? Well, my, uh, Malcolm Marshall for me. Uh, I, re- I mean, yep. I loved Malcolm Marshall. Class. I think if I if I'd been taller, I would have loved to have been, <laughs> you know, like old Big Bird or yep. um, even like Ambrose. I mean, Ambrose mm. I also loved, but I was was way too chatty to be a Kirtley Ambrose <laughs> uh, kind of player. But that, um, so I, I was a bowler. I was, uh, and I, I loved the science of bowling. I loved figuring out a batsman. Yeah, because by the time 
time I finished high school, it was the captaincy that I loved and the the tactics the of moving the players around mm. the field and all of that. And actually, by the time I finished, that was that was really what I got out of cricket. And we, you know, huge victory for the Kings High School third eleven over the Otago Boys High School fourth eleven on the bottom field at Kings <laughs> High School. Yes, go team. Yeah, all, all done by by the fact that I knew that the groundsman used to smoke when he was rolling the pitch on a Friday, and he'd sometimes roll the butts of cigarettes <laughs> into the pitch, and they'd form this little ledge. And if they were just at the right uh, the right place outside off stump, my very slow left armers could turn violently. And true story, I bowled out Ian Billcliffe, who went on to play rep cricket and, and international cricket for Canada. Actually, I bowled him out um, when he was about four years younger than me um, <laughs> because I hit I hit the ridge caused by the cigarette butt. So there you go. What a story! I love that the politician used inside knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically a total rot, but, you know. <laughs> Oh, well, today was the final of the ICC T20 in the West Indies. Australia versus England. Uh, a few of us had a prediction that Australia would win uh, in, the last, in the last podcast that we had. Justin, I think you picked England, didn't you? Myself and Grant Elliott, we picked England. And I said at the time, I get everything wrong. And I, I was you were right. right. <laughs> um, no, I thought it was, I thought England had worked out how to bat on these pitches. Mm. And um, I mean, they, Grant made the point that they play on low, slow uh, pitches at home. So he felt they might be more at home here. We both thought that was a decent call. We both thought Heather Knight was going to have the tactical edge over Meg Lanning. We were both wrong. Mm, yeah, no. Well, uh, England actually won the toss, elected to bat first, but they were bowled out for, was it 104? Uh, and Oz were able to chase it down and won by eight wickets. England were 105 all out oh, after 19.4 overs, so they didn't even use their full 20 overs. No, they didn't. Uh, it was an unchanged team from the English from the semi final. Uh, something that I found quite interesting before the game even started was that one of the female commentators was standing on the pitch in high heels. Is that like a version of that thing Tony Gregg used the to do with the keys? keys. Yeah. Maybe. Can you get your heel into the pitch? Yeah. Interesting concept. I would love to see male Tony commentators Gregg wearing heels. heels. Yeah, I think Simon Dill would look quite amazing a pair of red stilettos. <laughs> well, he's got the pins. Oh, he does. Yeah, yeah. But like, as you say, England won the toss. They Heather did. Knight, Heather Knight decided to bat first. Mm. Now, this has gone back and forth in the, in, in, in the competitions. Most people have been picking, yeah, bat first. Conditions only get a bit tough later on. That's true, but they got tougher for the side that bowled second. Everyone was talking about the the dampness at the ground, the lack of wind, how much dew there was on the surface. Australia really struggled um, with a wet ball mm. in their innings, but England struggled more when they were bowling later on. Was yeah. that the right call, do you think? Well, I mean, Grant Elliott said the other day that, you know, you bat second uh, and that he would choose to bat second, so that's probably lucky for Australia. Their fielding was atrocious. They had hands like a digital clock, some of those ones. Mm. Terrible cricket puns. Um, but there were moments of brilliance when there were fantastic catches, but there was like five drop catches, a number of um, missed runouts. Uh, there was one spectacular runout direct hit. Um, but, yeah, overall I was a bit kind of underwhelmed by Australia's fielding. I was underwhelmed by their fielding. Their bowlers stuck to their task really That's well. That's true. They did. They did. Um, and, yeah, it was, I don't know. There was almost a hat-trick there as well, which uh, Winfield just played. Was it Winfield? No, it was it was Wareham from Australia who had the hat-trick. Um, but, unfortunately, that wasn't to be.
There's only been nine hat tricks in, in T20 cricket across the board. Did you really? know that? Is that right? Yeah. So Is Sophie Devine one of those? Oh, I don't know. That's I think she might be, maybe. Yeah. Um, Let's say she is. <laughs> She's good enough to be. She's good enough to be. <laughs> I counted, you talk about the missed opportunities. If mm. you count the missed review that Australia oh, didn't yeah. take, they put down eight opportunities. NASA Hussain, the former England player and one of the commentators, was saying that England should be all out for 90 by now. Instead, they're da-da-da. He's quite right, but he's mm. possibly being a bit generous. Essentially, Australia had to decide Miss England twice. Yeah. <laughs> Is some of that World Cup finals <laughs> jitters? Yeah. Yeah, you could tell they were nervous, um, both teams, both sides. Um, and yeah, it's really hard in that kind of context playing on an international scene in front of cameras like that and trying to get yourself centred. But, you know, I guess it's like doing a stand up show in front of a big crowd who I, don't like you or, uh, you yeah. know. I mean, I've, I've James done that quite game. often <laughs> drops at least eight catches in his routine. Yeah, yeah <laughs> most, most definitely. I think uh, very, once very famously at Parihaka, I managed to make 5,000 people at a festival of peace hate me. And that's, um, that's quite an achievement, really. At a festival of peace, that's really quite an achievement, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? The lesson there is don't, uh, don't try and fill the space while herbs are. Uh, are tuning up because they're old men and it's going to take 50 minutes that you don't have. You mentioned NASA Hussein there. He used the G word oh, about a, a dozen times. So uh, we have a swear jar mm-hmm. uh, and it's girls. You're not allowed yep. to say girls. Um, uh, but he said it multiple times. It actually made me want to throw something at the television. He how does do, every game. How do we stop this from happening? Do I don't that? have old men commentating cricket. That's the answer. Ah, it's a harsh thing to say. He's not even that old, though. No, he isn't, is he? So it doesn't really work. Yeah. (laughs) Don't have men commentate? Well, there's that. Women's cricket? (laughs) Well, he was quite patronising as the English captain. That's true. He's patronising to everybody, but especially so here. And I remember, even when he stopped being, I I think to to be fair to Nassusan, if you can be fair to Nassusan, he's like that across the board. Mm. (laughs) He probably refers to the English men's team as girls. He he refers to them as lads, which is interesting, isn't it? So lads and. Lads and girls, I'm not mm. sure. Do you think it's because he his record is not great as a player? Like he's he's got an, an interesting record as a captain. That's what he's saying. But because he's one of those guys who doesn't really achieve his full potential, that he needs to take that dominant role as a commentator. Yeah, there's probably something in that. I think if we looked at commentary teams around the world, including New Zealand ones, you might you <coughs> might actually oh, um, have a think about that too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, New Zealand commentators. Um, it was great to see a mixture of women and men in the commentary team. For for this. Mm. Um, Lizzie Murdoch was the commentator from New Zealand who bent over, which was brilliant. And it's fantastic to see a lot of more women getting into the commentary box to commentate the black caps. Mm. Um, and I'm keen to see more women. But I don't know. Is it? It is a place Zoe for women. doing her, I would like to work yeah. for Sky Sport this summer. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I'm free this summer. Of course summer. it is. And, yeah. and it's, it's like any, any kind of sport or any kind mm. of thing where you've got commentary, you want diversity of perspective. Mm. And, you know, Debbie Hockley did a, a big turn last summer, and you know it's hard when you start those gigs, isn't it? You know yeah. to know it's different from radio, it's mm. different from you know on TV. You've got different environments, and I think you know she warmed up, and by the end of the season was providing some really insightful commentary. Well, so she, yeah, the more the better, I yeah, and so did Maya Lewis, but yeah. she yeah, hasn't Lewis been held really over good for this, this no. season. Well, and Debbie Hockley's not coming back following. Um, so are they using Leslie? Uh, I think they are, and I think it, well, I've seen Emily Drum uh, on Sky, Sky have been using yeah, her, as yeah. well. Uh, but yeah, it was really such a shame when they had the whole the story that I did for Fair Play earlier in the year about Debbie Hockley being threatened with violence and mm. being called all sorts of horrible names under the sun for cricket commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, cri- for cricket commentary. Yes. 
what the hell is going on there? Yeah. And so I managed, so there was this petition that was set up by this guy up in the Waikato and I managed to track him down and I interviewed him and I was like, okay, well, why have you started this petition? I'm, I'm really interested. He was petitioning to Sky Sport to get Debbie Hockley off the airwaves and he goes, well, it's like listening to my mum. She knows nothing about cricket. Bro, you got to call your mum. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Well, I'm let's put this in perspective. Debbie Hockley is simply one yeah. of the greatest Goodness players in the ever. history of women's cricket. Yeah, Test average this? over 50, ODI average over 40. That's knows right. nothing about cricket apparently, yeah. according to your chat from the way that I'm Yeah, I'm pretty confident his mum didn't have that kind of record Mm-mm. in international cricket. So. No, it Jeff was... Boycott's mum, on the other hand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. But yeah, so there you go. Uh, and um, she's not coming back this season, which is such a shame because she's that's got... That's atrocious. Yeah, yeah she's got incredible, incredible insight. Uh, it was good on petition.org, though, because there was all this hate speech mm. being thrown at her um, and, and thankfully you know they were saying that they were going to smash her and um, yeah so threatening with violence and calling her all sorts of horrible nasty things under the sun and after my story came out change.world actually took those comments out of the petition um, which was but the petition I think is still up but yeah that's <laughs> really it's funny I say it's weird it mm. shouldn't be weird no. because we don't talk about that stuff in New Zealand well, as we were discussing off here um, it's mm. the stuff comment section you well, know, and yeah. if the stuff comment sections comes to life, this is the kind of thing they'll do. Mm. It doesn't mean Sky Sport needs to listen to them, though. No, and they didn't. Sky Sport handled it really, mm. really well, and so um, hats off to them. And I'm looking forward to seeing more women in there. Something that was really hard, though, in talking to Maya about was that they were just chucked in there. They weren't given mm. any kind of training. Um, so no wonder they struggled and found it really hard because they're not broadcasters. They're cricketers. Uh, and actually, these guys, Ian Smith is not a broadcaster. He's a cricketer who just has happened now to have a but when you get decades of experience, I mean, yeah. that, that kind of crew have mm. mostly been around for a long time. So anyone who gets chucked into the middle of that, you know, has to find their place in the commentary team. It's going to be really difficult. Of course. You, I mean, I don't know if you've heard the stories about, you know, in the, with the Channel 9 commentary team about what would happen when a new person would come in. You know, they would deliberately make it hard for them. Yeah. And oh, Ian wow. Smith himself, when he would go over to be the New Zealand commentator, you know, they're all about where you sit and, you know, who gets to say what at the beginning of an over and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, no training. <laughs> pretty pretty hard gig to walk into. Well, it's interesting because it's clearly training when it comes to things like, say, rugby commentary. Because mm-hmm. let us never forget that Sean Fitzpatrick is a UK commentator <laughs> uh, for Wendy All Blacks tour. And that's Sean, oh... Yeah, but uh, game of two halves. Game of two halves. <laughs> like that guy has become an international commentator. So clearly, anything's possible. Anything's yeah. possible. And but there is a pathway for particularly men in commentary and cricket. Mm. But that pathway hasn't been prevalent for women. And actually, the pathway for women in cricket hasn't been prevalent. Um, Grant, uh, we've been talking about the whole notion of professionalism in cricket. Uh, the two teams today, England and Australia, are both professionals. New Zealand's not. Are we getting any closer, do you think, to being paid professionals? Yes, I think we are. Um, and New Zealand cricket are just renegotiating the memorandum of understanding with uh, with the White Ferns. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, when we see that come through in the next few months, I think we'll be much closer to it. The step that kind of has to go alongside that, but also after it, is uh, a fully professional domestic competition because it's the same in women's rugby and women's cricket. In order to build up both um, in terms of the quality of play but also the interest from sponsors and all of that, you actually need a thriving domestic competition as well. So Mm. I think the two of those things have got to happen, and New Zealand cricket is working on that. It's invested a lot more in the White Ferns in terms of the build-up to this 
tournament and generally as well. And obviously as we get into summer, we're going to have double headers. We've got India here, men and women at the same time. So, I, you know, I'll, I think New Zealand cricket deserve plaudits for where they're going. They need to be encouraged to keep going and, and go faster. But, yeah, we're, we're much closer than we were. And I think within a couple of years, we should we should have a fully professional setup. I reckon. I'm going to throw another factor in there, and it's obviously tied to the professionalism. Uh, one of the commentators today brought up a really interesting stat. Since the previous Women's T20, and they're going to call it the World Cup finally, because I've been trying to call it the World Cup for this entire competition. Since the previous competition four years ago, England and Australia have each, both at domestic and an international level, played more than 400 T20s each. Wow. And the nearest team which was South Africa, who got nowhere in this competition, had only played just over 200. Mm. So clearly that's a function of professionalism, but it's also a function of exposure to the top level. Mm. And if you've got that kind of experience under your belt, you know, you're not going to be worried about anything. I remember a few years ago watching the England netball team come very close to beating the New Zealand netball team. And at the end of the third quarter, they were two points ahead or something like that. And they sprinted off to their corner, all very excited. And, the, and you know, the, the New Zealand netball team sort of walked calmly off to their corner, discussed calmly what they needed to do and walked back onto the court. And I went, yeah, we're going to win this game. And we did because they'd been there so many times before. What's happened since then is a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there with the silver vest. Try and explain that. <laughs> you, see the, you see the same I thing will, with but that's cricket. another podcast series. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, like, in men's test cricket, uh, you know, look at England's dominance uh, yep. in, in test cricket came from the fact that about a decade, decade and a half ago, they went, we're going to focus on test cricket. We're mm. going to play more tests uh, than any other nation um, and because that's the only way we're going to be able to get people yeah. Good, at and it is. They've got to do that. So, but that, mm. that's you've got to get the domestic competition going well. Agreed. You've got to make sure that um, the elite players are getting exposure in you know things like the Big Bash in Australia, and and, I, and so I, the plan is there, and and it's just now got to be actioned by New Zealand cricket. And yeah. I get the feeling that they do get it. They mm. do understand it. I think everyone's going to be a bit disappointed by this performance. And while I think some of it will come down to the things we've just been talking about, I think there's probably. A, a pretty serious look at exactly what did happen and what went wrong that's going to take place. As Minister of Sport, though, setting expectations and expressing disappointment when they're not met, are those the only weapons you've got in your armament? Well, I certainly don't think, you know, and there's going to be listeners out there who would like the idea that I can dictate what sports do <laughs> um, as much as I might like that. No, <laughs> but, but what we do do is, you know, it, and we've said this explicitly in the strategy, is that, you know, when it comes time for the new funding agreements, we will be looking at... What, what has been done to meet our expectations. Mm. So ultimately, that's the lever that we do have, is that we support these sports and we help you know, fund them at all different levels and we've got expectations around what they need to do and we'll be looking at those when we fund. When the money comes in and is distributed to um, all the different sporting organisations, do you, is there actually a breakdown of where that money is going, so to elite and to whether it's going to women and to development or, you know? Very much and that's that's now the process. So yeah. the funding rounds are basically triennial so next year we'll start doing the funding round that'll kick in from the beginning of 2020 and that's the point at which we now get the opportunity to, to relook and as Minister coming in, I've set the priorities for sport with number one being the participation and valuing and visibility of women and girls, community sport and so on. So those sorts of factors are in there. Elite, we know that elite sport and high performance sport's expensive, mm. you know, because you've got to invest heavily in individuals and coaches. So 
high performance sport will always take a big share of the money, but we've just got to make sure in doing that that it's that it's looking fairly and equitably across mm. across codes and across genders. Minister for Sport Grant Robertson and comedian James Nikisi are our guests today. We finish our mini series on hidden treasures at the New Zealand Cricket Museum today. Curator Jamie Bell tells us about his favourite thing in the museum, which has a rather interesting backstory. It's not very sexy, but I do love the, the old papers and letters that we have. There's just a, such an immense amount of stories that are actually hidden within them. And sometimes those stories aren't obvious. There's a note in one of New Zealand Cricket Council letter books from when WG Grace died. And it said, NZCC sends its condolences on Grace, Sir Cecil Moon. And I looked at that and thought, oh, that's nice that they said that. But for there to have been a Sir involved with the New Zealand Cricket Council at that time, that's a bit unusual. And I've never heard of Sir Cecil Moon. So I did a bit of digging and Sir Cecil Moon was a, an English baronet um, who uh, inherited the title from his grandfather, I believe. His family disowned him, sent him to uh, America, uh, sort of a remittance man, gave him a, a little bit of money and said, get out of here, we don't want to see you anymore. He went to America, he became a cowboy, he married uh, an Irish woman who's had Broadway plays written about her, she's a fascinating character in her own right. Um, they got divorced and it was said that it was the first time in American history that the wife had to pay the husband alimony. When they went back to the UK, she took her horse with her at one point because she wanted her horse with her. Uh, And then when they got divorced, he ended up getting remarried and coming to Christchurch. And there's a paper, a newspaper reference to him getting off the boat and going to Lancaster Park to inspect the facilities. So he had a short time in New Zealand where he was involved with the Cricket Council. He didn't actually play the game, but he wrote this letter back to the UK when WG Grace died. And so now we've sort of uncovered the story about this fascinating guy who was, you know, obviously, um, we don't know what he did to his family to, for them to say, get out of our sight. But um, from then, his story just really takes off. That's New Zealand Cricket Museum curator Jamie Bell talking about a letter about WG Grace's death. We're joined in the studio by Minister for Sport Grant Robertson and James Nikise, comedian, both huge cricket fans. Uh, second innings of the final of the Women's T20 World Cup. Uh, England set 106 uh, for Australia to chase down. Did you think, Justin, that that was a defendable score? No. <laughs> um, they needed to take wickets right from the start, and they didn't. I mm. thought um, Eccleston, the, the England left armour, was causing problems. Um, but really, no. I mean, you know, Healy had a slightly slow start, and then mm. suddenly she was away, as she always does. I uh, hadn't seen much of Beth Mooney bat, but she was taking it calmly until she wasn't, and um, just really Australia just looked completely in charge mm. of the chase. At one stage, they were just pushing for singles, and that's all they needed. You know, they didn't have to smack some of those big sixes that we saw in the final overs. Yeah, you felt the momentum shifted about mm. the 11th over, I thought. Mm. You know, th- that was the point at which you could kind of see the England players go, mm, yeah, nah. And Australia had um, some momentum underneath them and they were away and it was just very clear which way it was going to go. Mm. Yeah, well, we ended up talking about all sorts of random crickety things rather than actually We did notice, especially Ashley Gardner and mm. Meg Lanning just, mm. you know, do exactly as Justin says, capitalise when the England heads went down. They just they just went there and some very, very solid shots to finish it I off. I think that's straight Bat six. Yeah. So I was going to oh, have one shot that really incredible. broke the back of the English players. Yeah, it you saw sort of body language, the shoulders were down yeah. at that point, and you go, Oh, you go. And then I think it was three balls later or something that misfield happened, and you just saw it. The They're end. a good outfit. I mean, you've got to, you, having watched the, the White Ferns in, that, in the series in Australia, mm-hmm. the, they are a very, very strong team. And it, 
you'll New Zealand will beat them on a good day at the moment, but but otherwise the Aussie team are pretty pretty much and the, the Aussies, best by a long way. The Aussies are the jewel in Australian cricket crown right now. Mm. Yes. So uh, <laughs> Not a lot of other jewels in that crown right at the moment. But isn't it interesting to think of, like, as a New Zealand cricket fan, you know, when people might look at the the, uh, the result that New Zealand's had in this tournament and then go, oh, wow, you know, it's, uh, we're not going to be as good as Australia. It's like, oh, hold up, my friend, and let me take you back to five years ago, <laughs> like, or yeah. four years ago. Like, it's, like I say, you put the investment in, you put the money in, you put the program in, the results do come. But there's a, there's a great target for us, which is that we're hosting 2021 yes. um, mm-hmm. Women's Cricket World Cup. So that is the Women's Cricket World Cup, um, Justin, just so you know which one it is. Um, <laughs> yes, and they the, announced <laughs> the name change, and I'm very pleased about it. <laughs> and so in 2021, so for me, that's got to be the target from here for or New Zealand cricket to say, mm. well, we're hosting, this is going to be a massive opportunity, February 2021, and let's build towards that. And so what's the government's involvement of, of making that happen? So the good thing about those ICC-sanctioned tournaments is that ICC mostly take care of the costs that surround them. Um, what we want to do and what we are doing is working with New Zealand cricket on legacy stuff around it, um, Participation. How do we get non-traditional um, groups involved in cricket? That kind of stuff, which is actually where a big chunk of our funding for New Zealand cricket goes anyway. Mm. But trying to build that around that twenty twenty-one tournament, mm. it is it's massive for us because, as I say, the ICC do come to the party on on the, the core costs of the tournament, so we can look at our investments to be able to support them. And the final was meant to be at the Basin Reserve, right? Uh, I'm not sure that it's been announced, Zoe. Oh, okay, well, a little birdie told has me. Now, Grant. <laughs> well, then, talking about the Basin Reserve, as we always do uh, here on. Uh, <laughs> I know, poor Justin, because we love the Basin. Well, I tell you, Justin, you just get yourself a cricket venue in Auckland that you can play international cricket properly. Oh, hello, at, I'm talking to the Minister of Sports here. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you need to talk Someone to Phil. You need to talk to Phil Goff. You need to, than I do. You need to talk to Phil Goff about Speedway in Western Springs. <laughs> oh, so, my Labour Party leader, Phil Goff. <laughs> Former Labour leader, Phil Goff. Um, the Basin Reserve, uh, so I have another podcast called Fair Play, and this week just gone, we recorded it, and we did a big story about the um, insufficient toilet facilities at the Basin Reserve. So long story short, there's twice as many men's toilets as women's. There's not very many accessibility toilets, and the council has put in this uh, $7 million to upgrade the museum stand. Now, no public consultation is happening about around the toilets, um, and so I wanted to know why, and you can find more information um, um, on rnz.co.nz forward slash series, and it's called Fair Play. This week we had MP Lewis Wallen. She was my co-host, um, Disability Rights Commissioner Paula Tessarero and Wellington City Councillor Fer- Fitzsimons. Currently there are only about 37 toilets in the entire Basin Reserve. After the redesign, it's going to be 57. But according to the MB Toilet Code and Compliance Calculator, they need at least 100. <sighs> So Grant, what's your take on toilets at sports grounds? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna plead the fifth on that. Um, look, you know the Basin Reserve re- rejig does have to kind of you know future proof it, and so clearly these are the sorts of issues that they need to be need to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. It it is such a brilliant place to watch cricket, and yeah. we want to make sure that it's able to be uh, you know accessible for everybody. 
you know, and I'll just continue to make sure people don't plough a road through it, which is the biggest issue that, that Wellingtonians yeah, face, face at the with moment. the ground. It's so true, yeah. yeah. I so, mean, which, and it, look, it's, I, my view is it could be utilised more than it is, and I know the council's thinking about that too. Yeah. We yeah. should do, a, what is it, a word cloud, a word bubble on the series and see how many times the word space and reserve come up <laughs> across <laughs> the series. <laughs> is it, is it, I mean, I think it's, it's something that they need to really take into account is that Kiwis like to drink at cricket, mm. uh, and if you're going to serve them alcohol, you need to have toilet facilities because uh, what Basin does have is a lot of flax bushes, um, but it's still a roundabout opposite the Governor General's house. That's so right. With a couple of schools nearby. A couple of schools yeah. nearby. So for public safety, you really need to get your toilet infrastructure straight, Basin Reserve. <laughs> You've I mean, heard long it gone are the days when you would be at um, you know Athletic Park or the or the former Carisbrook watching a game of rugby or a game of cricket, and you had one of those little tubes going down into the concrete stands. Yeah. It's long gone. Uh, yeah, I was a person who spent a lot of time on the terraces at Carisbrook, I can tell you that not everyone bothered with the tube. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, you, and if you were the, in the terraces in Athletic the Park, the, concrete. <laughs> <laughs> the terraces at Athletic Park, it was too cold for any of your body system to work to be able to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, James Nakise and Grant Robertson are our uh, guests today. Um, okay, so Australia won. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that result I'm re- uh, because they beat us in, in the rounds. I think that's fantastic that Australia won. You know, they're our trans-Tasman sisters how about you, uh, James, having Australia win? Is it a good thing? Um, I mean, uh, has the Australian women's team ever bowled a cricket ball under arm to us? No. Oh, then it's probably okay. okay. I think it's probably, it's probably all right. <laughs> yeah, think, there's, there's some sort of Southern Hemisphere thing, isn't there, about that? But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. My, my overall reflection on the tournament is, mm. is just a little bit of a niggle of disappointment about the White Ferns' performance. Mm. Um, I, I just feel they didn't perform to their potential. I mean, it's all very well to be beaten by a better team like Australia, and I, I think and overall they are in a better team, but I don't know that New Zealand, I don't think they'll be happy, There's, the White Ferns. I think it's also got something to do with that leadership in the White Ferns as well. Yeah, um, The coaching, the captaining, it just hasn't been good for them in the build-up and all that change mm. that they had in the build-up to the tournament. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't have any particular insight into Susie Bates's decision, but I, I, I do think that you're right. I think that it was a big call for, mm. for Amy and to come in there, and I think from a team perspective, you know, there are some brilliant players there. And as I say, you know, I look to 2021 and think, I can just see Amelia Kerr being a household name and a hero, and, yeah, and we be. should make sure that happens. Yeah, absolutely. 2021 is when we're going to win it. That's I can just correct. see it now. Basin Reserve, Australia, New Zealand, coming down to the last over like it did uh, in 2000, except, you know, we'll win again. I think it's going to be as exciting as that. I hope so. My name's Matthias. I just want to say that you should really win this World Cup. Let's talk about the competition overall, shall we? Things that went well and things that didn't go so well. For me, it was a slightly disappointing competition because of the pitches. Low, slow, Mm -hmm. took the power and excitement out of the game. Occasionally, it was a little bit boring. And women's cricket has developed quite a lot of power in the last 18 months to two years, and that was largely missing, aside from people like Ashley Gardner today, who was able to make... um, make pace on the ball regardless of the pitch. I, I was disappointed by the West Indies. This was a problem in the 2007 World mm-hmm. Cup. You know, the, the pitches a decade ago weren't, mm. for the men weren't good enough. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that does affect the game um, really badly. And some, you know, some of those harder wickets in, in Australia, you would have seen a very different result. Mm. I was very happy to see West Indies culture, though, mm. at oh, the stadiums superb. as opposed to the Men's World Cup, <laughs> where I think it was just a couple of weeks of everyone going, where are the West Indies? So, <laughs> so is it a core element of West Indies culture for the fire eater to set fire to his backside? Is that part no, of it? No, and his 
front side and his front side too considering when I was growing up it was a core element of West Indies cricket for them to set fire to most people's backsides Uh, it was just nice to see the culture out there because I I just remember that was my big disappointment not even where the guys placed you never saw a brown face in the crowd did you wow I mean it's it's, it's, I think there is a deeper conversation for ICC and West Indies obviously the the infrastructure problems of West Indies cricket are legendary Uh, and, and it's very sad to see a mighty power go down like that but I think there is a there is something they need to look at when they have tournaments there of hey part of West Indies culture is the Caribbean culture mm-hmm. uh, it's, I mean I look forward to seeing uh, New Zealand World Cup seeing how much of our culture uh, is, is, is presented sure. there as well, well and see this is it the Maori culture for example is not heavily involved with cricket yeah. but we need to I think we need to change that somehow or oh, again and that's one of one of Sport New Zealand and New Zealand cricket's big focus is, mm. is how do we do that? I mean, there are pretty clearly underrepresented groups in Pacifica and Māori mm. in terms of cricket, and and that's got to be one of their targets. And I know you know Diana Pukitapu, who's on the board of New Zealand cricket, has made it her kind of mission, and I, and I think we can we can hopefully see some outcomes as of that. As someone who plays uh, Kilikita with the family when I'm home for Christmas, <laughs> I can tell you Pacifica has some depth there to be tapped. For the slog sweep. For the slog sweep, man. That's like the Ross Taylor. People are like, why does you keep doing the slog sweep? Because he's a salmon cricket player. That's why. It's a lot to be learned. Um, before we head off, it's slightly off topic, but not really. The New Zealand under seventeen football team. Awesome legends. I think every. I mean, you know, I don't, I've been going on about this all afternoon, so Zoe's indulging me here. But, <laughs> but I think New Zealanders need to stop for a moment and think about what they've achieved. They've just made the semi-finals of a football World Cup, and there are programs around the world where under seventeens, especially. Are being having money chucked at them by their international bodies, and we've made the semi-finals. We beat Japan, who won last time, and who've got a fantastic football program. Mm. Um, just an absolutely superb outcome. Um, so thrilled for them, and they got Spain in the semis this week. That's oh, going to be man. a good game. And if you, I mean, and that I think you uh, you were showing us a video before we uh, started <laughs> of, of the young women uh, just like flying the flag and celebrating. And if if you're a sports fan and you want to like see the passion of sports, just go watch that video. Yeah, absolutely tremendous. Yeah. I I don't think yeah. I just think on the world stage, it'll be one of the biggest things that we've New Zealand sports done. Mm. Should, it's just incredible. It is. Just before we go, one of the things we always do when I say always, it's when so we remember. I remember to do it <laughs> is to get a pro tip from each of our guests. Now, it can be about cricket or it can be about whatever. Interpret it freely. James, what's your pro tip? My pro tip is if you're a bowler, uh, never never worry about the first over, um, which is probably why I was first change. Uh, <laughs> but I, I always used to use that first. And something I, I learned from watching Malcolm Marshall uh, video cassettes uh, is uh, figure them out in the first over uh, and then take them in the second. Good oh, there's tip. only one pro tip for betting. He'd still watch the ball. The only thing, it's the only thing you need to know. If only, if only, <laughs> the only problem is he'd still watch the ball and then play a scoring shot. Ah, I always yeah. forgot the third one of those when I was betting. But yeah, <laughs> and watch out for cigarettes rolled into the pitch. Actually, it won't happen anymore, <laughs> will it? But it oh, was a big know. thing in the and 80s. shelf the slog sweep until you get the century. <laughs> 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 okay, Grant. What's a pro tip for budding minister of sports out there? I don't know. Um, Fund a decent stadium <laughs> in Auckland. <laughs> become, become good friends with the Prime Minister so that when she says you're going to be the Minister of Finance, you can say on one condition that I'm the Minister of Sport. True story. I tell you, Grant, if I was Minister of Sport, I'd be texting through bowling changes, I'd be texting through fielding changes. <laughs> well, this is the I... thing. When Steve Hansen asked if we'd pay for the All Blacks, I was like, well, absolutely for sure, but I'm picking the team. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, on that note, it's been such a pleasure having both of you in for our final episode um, of Not Your Average Cricket Show. And Justin, it's been lovely hosting with you. And you too, Zoe. Thanks for all the work you've done. And let's face it, you've done most of it. Oh, stop. Okay, thanks. I'll take that. That's it for Not Your Average Cricket Show. I'm kind of sad that it's coming to an end. What am I going to do now? Well, you could try sleeping and eating, but oh, yeah, you know, this is true. to you. There are still toilets to <laughs> be built oh, yeah, at the Basin Reserve. There are still toilets to be built at the Basin Reserve. You probably need someone in the Sky commentary uh, box of you. I know. Hey, Sky, I'm here now. You can just, you know, see me on the sideline giving those boys hell, eh? Uh, <laughs> Actually, I can see that. You can definitely Sky, see that. if you're listening. Yeah. I just before we go, I just want to say thanks to all the guests we've had over yeah. the um, seven episodes. You know, it, it's an incomplete list, but mm-hmm. Samuel Scott, Nick Buckton, Maya Lewis, Sonia Gray, Grant Elliott, Jimmy Neesham, Hamish Bennett. Who have Karen I Karen O'Leary. Karen oh, O'Leary from um, Officer O'Leary yeah, was Officer, there. Oh, amazing. Yeah. oh, how good! She was amazing. She's a huge cricket fan. Yeah, she was. She's fantastic. She wore a special cricket jersey. She did. I know, with a little cricket emoji on it. I know. I asked if I could have one. Yeah, but no, thank you so much. And also a big thank you to RNZ um, and also to William Saunders, who is our sound engineer, yeah. who makes us sound amazing. So bring on 2021. Not Your Average Cricket Show was produced and presented by me, Zoe George, and Justin Gregory. The engineer is William Saunders. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to every episode of Not Your Average Cricket Show podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Radio Public, or at radionz.co.nz forward slash series. And while you're on Apple, please rate us by clicking on ratings and review and then the stars. It's dead easy and it's really important. This way more people get to hear about us. Catch you later. Nopo oramai. Mai.